Welcome to The Everyday Saint, where young Catholics inspire young Catholics as we're all grasping towards heaven while walking on earth as everyday saints. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Eve Rosemary, and let's get started because there's so much goodness to share. All right, welcome to another episode of The Everyday Saint podcast. We are switching it up today a little bit. Instead of having a guest, I am going to go over a little theology topic for you instead. Um, I'm kind of joking about this as like, I got my theology major, so you don't have to. (laughs) Just a little fun episode, maybe diving into some more of those like theologically deep topics without going, like making it difficult to understand. I'm trying to make this as easy to understand and make it so that maybe listen to episodes, these little series of theology topics that you can then go out and help explain it to other people. Um, Just kind of, yeah, an easy to understand way of explaining parts about our faith. So today we are talking about Mary and this kind of intro episode on Mary. I'd love to talk more about her, more about the doctrines about Mary, but for today we're doing a little bit of an intro topic and what I'm going to be going over is kind of an apologetics training. So Maybe this is an episode for a Protestant who doesn't understand, you know, the role of Mary in the Catholic faith. Or if you just don't know really why Mary is important to the Catholic faith or why Mary is important. This episode really delves into that. So it's kind of a basic, uh, base level theology topic of what Mary looks like, what it looks like when we say that we pray to Mary, that we venerate her, why there's statues in the church about Mary all these little things that point to the importance of Mary in the Catholic faith. So getting started right away, um, what does it mean when we pray to Mary? When we say that we pray to Mary, we are not worshiping Mary. We first, we first pray to Jesus, right? Everything about Mary is to Jesus through Mary. So we pray to Jesus and then we also ask Mary to pray to Jesus So then Mary prays to Jesus. And now both of us together are praying to Jesus for a specific intention and to go grow closer to him. It's never, I don't want to talk to Jesus, so I'm going to talk to Mary instead. What it is, is I need extra prayers for the specific thing. So I'm going to turn to one of Jesus's most beloved people, because it's his mother, and ask her to help me in this prayer. It's never, I'm only praying to Mary. It's I'm praying to Jesus and I'm asking Mary to pray alongside me in this prayer. We know this because when we say that we pray to Mary, we never mean that we're worshiping Mary. And this is a really important distinction, especially in a Protestant to Catholic discussion about Mary, is that when Catholics talk about worship and what worship is, we have to look at the greatest form of Catholic worship, which would be the Mass. That is, you know, it's a requirement for Catholics to go to Mass every single Sunday. There's no leeway in there. Every single Catholic must go to Mass on Sunday because that is our greatest form of worship because we see Jesus in the Eucharist. We get to actually be connected to Jesus in the Eucharist at the Mass, which means that that is our greatest form of prayer. Obviously, we pray to Jesus every single day, but Mass is the most important form of prayer that Catholics have and one of the greatest examples to use when we're talking about the distinction between prayer and worship, um, or intercession and worship in this case. So worship is sacrifice. That's what the Mass is. It's a sacrifice of our time. It's a sacrifice of the altar as Jesus 
humbles himself into the Eucharist, um, disguising himself under the appearance of bread and wine so that we then may too be united to Jesus in the Eucharist. So our greatest example of worship is sacrifice. So we don't, we know that we don't, we don't worship Mary because we don't sacrifice for Mary at the mass. We're not there at the mass to worship Mary. We're not there for Mary. We're there for Jesus. And it's not about her at all when we're praying to Mary. It's more about she wants to bring us to her son. She loves her son so much that she wants to help bring us along with her to her son and present her son to us in a new way. One of the greatest parts of this theology topic that when I'm discussing with other people, it's, you know, the the verse in the Bible that says the only mediator between us and God is Jesus which is absolutely correct. Obviously, it's in the Bible. Only Jesus offers offers us salvation. No Catholic will ever say that Mary offers us salvation because it's Jesus who died on the cross for us. He is the only mediator between God and man. But that doesn't mean that Mary praying for us, she isn't, that's an intercession. You know, when we pray for our friends, we're not mediating. We don't become a mediator all of a sudden. You know, you can't, you can't quote that verse in the Bible and then say, but you can pray for your friends because they're intercessing on your behalf and they're praying for you. And that's exactly what Mary is doing. Just as we ask our friends to pray for us, so too can we ask Mary to pray for us. And it's even more powerful if you think about it because we're still on earth when we're praying for our friends. We're still here. We're not in complete union with Christ quite yet. But then when we get to heaven, which we know Mary is in heaven because she raised the Son of God, then if she's the closest that she can possibly get to Jesus, think about how powerful her prayers are and the, the intercession of the saints. That's why we ask for their prayers, because they've walked exactly the same path that we have. They know what we've been through, and they're there to help us. They're there to help get us to heaven. They live their life striving for heaven and striving to help others get to heaven. So they're here to help us in our journey to get to heaven. And that's what Mary does. She doesn't give us salvation. Mary doesn't come with a silver platter um, with salvation on it. And if we just say the rosary, all of a sudden we have salvation. That's not the case at all. In fact, Mary only wants to bring us closer to her son. So she's not going to offer us salvation, but she's going to offer us a means to salvation through helping bring us to her son. A lot of times it's difficult to see that Mary, when we're, we're not worshiping her, we're just asking for her prayers. And another thing that often gets brought up is the statues of Mary in church. Like, why are they there? If you're not worshiping Mary, why do you even have statues of her? And really what what the point of any statue or any painting in church is, is because it's supposed to help point us to a heavenly reality. It's reminding us of, you know, this, what is offered to us every time that we pray, what's offered to us as we live our life out for Christ. And sometimes it helps having those visuals along with us as, you know, when we ask Mary for prayer, sometimes it's like, you know, I really need to pray for this thing. And then you look at a statue of Mary, you're like, oh, I should also ask Mary to pray for me too. These statues are reminders of people who are there interceding for us. They're there to help us in our guide and guide us in our path to heaven. And so these statues to Mary, they, they reflect a heavenly reality, but they, like, we don't expect the statue to grant us anything at all. We're not praying to the statue itself. What we're doing is we're asking for intercession, and that statue is reminding us of who we're asking for intercession of, or 
if we see a crucifix, you know, it is reminding us that Christ died for our sins and it helps us reflect on this heavenly reality and what's happened before us and helps draw us closer to Christ. So while I understand where people come from when they are confused why we have statues of Mary or statues of saints and why we pray in front of them. That's not a sign of us worshiping that statue. That's not a sign of us praying to the statue. We're asking for intercession from the statue that we're in front of. It's nothing about the actual statue itself. Like you could do the same, same exact prayer sitting in your room with no statues. You could do that. That, like, there's nothing preventing you from doing that. There's nothing greater about doing it in front of the statue. The statue is only there to remind us of what we're working towards and remind us that there's people in heaven praying for us and intercessing for us. So, all this, all this introduction to say that Mary helps lead us to Christ. All prayers seemingly to her are with her. How I kind of like to think of it is, If Mary, like if we're asking for Mary's intercession, we're not sitting in front of Mary, praying to Mary. Instead, it's like Mary is sitting right, right beside us. Mary is sitting right beside us, praying alongside us, praying with us to her son. If you think of like the rosary, it's the rosary is not a prayer because we need like it's not a prayer out of necessity for Mary. It's a prayer, it's not a prayer reflecting on Mary specifically. All the mysteries of the rosary, so when, a little short explanation on the rosary for anybody who doesn't know, when you pray a rosary, there's 10 beads on it for each decade, and you pray five sets of 10 Hail Marys. And for each set of 10 Hail Marys, you reflect on a story of the Bible. There's specific ones for different days. But if I were... You know, today that I'm recording this is a Friday, which means it's the Sorrowful Mysteries. So during the Sorrowful Mysteries, the first decade of the rosary, I am reflecting on the agony in the garden of Christ. The second mystery, I'm reflecting on the scourging of Christ. Third mystery, I'm reflecting on the crowning of thorns. The fourth mystery, I'm reflecting on um, the carrying of the cross. And the final mystery, I'm reflecting on the death of Christ. All of those, while we're praying the Hail Mary, really it's not about the Hail Marys themselves that we're praying. We're simply asking for Mary's perspective as we're praying through and reflecting on Christ's life and his passion and his death and resurrection for us. All of those prayers point to Christ himself. So while we're praying the rosary, it's kind of a meditative prayer. It's not a prayer to Mary. It's a prayer alongside Mary as she helps us reflect on the life of Christ and grow in devotion for Jesus. The only reason we even have the rosary itself, the the actual beads, is simply to help us keep track of the prayers that we're praying. It's, you know, you could pray on your fingers if you wanted to. We don't actually, we don't need those tools per se to pray to Christ. It's not about the tools. It's about the reflection. It's about the prayer. It's about the meditation of bringing us to Christ himself. And we know that Mary is going to want to bring us to Christ. We see this in scripture. For example, at the visitation, so when Mary is going to visit her cousin Elizabeth as she's pregnant with John the Baptist, Mary, because she is pregnant with Christ, is physically bringing Christ with her and bringing Christ to other people. And that's where, you know, the John the Baptist first receives his mission on earth is when, you know, Mary and Elizabeth reconnect and all of a sudden John leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. That And that same verb of 
you know, leaping in the womb is dancing around. That's what it means. If you look at the original translation of that word, it's dancing around. And they use that same word in the Old Testament as they dance around the tabernacle um, and they dance around to worship. So the very first time that we see John, who had an incredibly important role in the Bible, worshiping is when Mary brings Jesus to him. So we even see, you know, right from the beginning, before Jesus is even born, that Mary is bringing Christ to other people. And that is her role as his mother to pray for us and help bring us to him and bring Christ to us in a different perspective, in a different way than maybe we had known before. I would like to read a little bit of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, because a lot of times, you know, you hear people say Catholics worship Mary and We know that that is not the case because we simply ask for her prayers, which is not worshiped by the Catholic definition. And nowhere in the catechism will you ever find it encouraging you to worship Mary. Instead, I would like to just share this short, um, short couple sentences about Mary and what the catechism of the Catholic Church says about Mary and her intercession and how it all points to Christ. So catechism paragraph 970 or 970 is Mary's function as mother of men in no way obscures or diminishes the this unique mediation of Christ, but rather shows its power. But the Blessed Virgin's salutatory influence on men flows forth from the superabundance of the merits of Christ, rests on his mediation, depends entirely on it, and draws all power from it. And it continues. It's actually a really beautiful paragraph. You get a chance to read the entire thing. But that, that one or those, those couple of sentences in essence point to the fact that, you know, Mary is here because she's there to bring us to her son. It, it invigorates us with this passion for Christ as we learn about how much, how much would she have loved Jesus throughout her entire life? Just think about the love that a mother has for her son already. And amplify that by a billion percent because not only does she love her son, but she loves the Lord. So it's combining her two greatest loves. And all she wants to do is to pass that love to us so that we can love her son more greatly. And we know of this from scripture. We know of Mary's importance from scripture. Um, so then the next half of this podcast episode, I really want to dive in. You know, it's it's nice to talk about the logic behind Mary and what we mean when we say that we pray to Mary and ask for her intercession. But like, where do we find this in the Bible? Where do we find this in scripture? And the very first instance that we know of Mary and her importance and, you know, how she was above other women because she was the mother of Christ. We see this in the very first instance that we even learn of Mary, which is when The angel Gabriel comes to Mary at the Annunciation and asks her if she would willingly bear Christ. This is also the passage that we get the Hail Mary from. um, When Gabriel greets Mary and says, Hail, full of grace. And then continues um, with the rest of his ask. But when he says this, he says, Hail, full of grace. He does not say Hail Mary, full of grace. Meaning that, When he says, hail, full of grace, full of grace is the title given to Mary. He doesn't just say hail and then goes on with whatever he's going to say. He gives Mary a a title, which is 
full of grace. He doesn't greet her any other way, indicating that Mary is full of grace. She is above other women. She was chosen for this rule, and she doesn't even question this decision. She doesn't question the decision to say yes to God, and she says yes to God despite all of the trials and all the tribulations that she would face. You know, we have the seven sorrows of Mary, these deep, deep pains and wounds that Mary would have experienced as a mother, and she says yes um, upon upon just being asked of it without even asking any really any follow-up questions because she is full of grace. She's incredibly important, set aside among other women. We also see her importance at the wedding feast of Cana, where, you know, the couple, they run out of wine at this feast, at their wedding, which especially in those days was very important. You know, they wanted to host people, they wanted to serve people, and they run out of wine. And so Mary asks Jesus if he would be willing, like if he can do something about this, knowing, having full confidence in what Jesus can do. Interrupting myself for a second here, because if you want to grow in confidence and faith, I have a really exciting opportunity for you. The Everyday Saint has released a lifestyle brand and apologetics training. I've turned my paintings into really cute sweatshirts, mugs, journals, and other products of our saints and Our Lady and other devotions for you to purchase at www.TheEverydaySaint.com. But when you purchase from The Everyday Saint, you're not just purchasing your new favorite sweatshirt or journal to bring with you to adoration. You're also purchasing an apologetics training so that when you're asked about that product in the real world, when someone says something like, I like your sweatshirt, you know how to explain that devotion to other people. So you're acting as a conversion and conversation initiator through purchasing from The Everyday Saint and have confidence that you can explain that product to other people so that they too can learn about Christ and his love for them. Check out The Everyday Saint at www.TheEverydaySaint.com. And Jesus says first is like, this is not my job. Like I am not here to do this yet. I have not been called into my mission yet. But because his mother asks him to, Jesus moves him the entire start to his mission simply because his mom asked him to do it. I mean, that that is the very first example that we have of Mary's intercession is that she saw the need of one of God's beloved daughters and sons and asks Jesus if he'd be willing to do something for this couple out of love for them. That's the very first example that we see of Mary's intercession is that she asks Jesus to do something. And it's so important um, out of love for his mother that Jesus is willing to move his entire mission, the entire purpose of his life. He's willing to move that up and switch around the timetables of what he had planned simply because his mom wanted him to, simply because Mary asked him to. That's the power that Mary has that she can ask for these things and Christ's want Christ wants to grant that to his mother because he loves all of us but I mean think about the intimate love that they would have had for each other because they were do- like they would they were mother and son and which was really just so beautiful to reflect on but Mary is there for us and wants to help us and Jesus is there to listen to his mom like he he's there to listen to her and want wants to answer her prayers just as he wants to answer all of our prayers, but out of a special love and devotion to his mother. And then another, the, the final, the final part of scripture that I wanted to highlight was Jesus 
at the cross, on, you know, at the cross of his death, one of the last commands that he gives is he says, woman, behold your son. Okay, the very last, the last command that Jesus gives is giving his mom to us as a spiritual mother, giving his mom to John in the, in the context of this specific passage, Jesus is giving his mom to John as a way to take care of her, to protect her. But there's no, especially in the book of John, there's no way that that was just Jesus giving his mom, uh, you know, making sure that we know that his mom was taken care of. Like why, honestly, at the foot of the cross, why would we really care that much about his mom? You know, if you think about it that way, like why would we care? Why would John want to put this in his gospel? We see this kind of, John never leaves anything without great intentionality. Even when we look at the resurrection, when the two disciples, him and Peter, are running to the tomb, and we all know, everybody jokes about it, that John ran faster than Peter. We know that John ran faster than Peter. He got there before Peter did. He's just really speedy. And instead of entering the tomb, John waits for Peter, which is then why we know of the apostolic succession established in the gospels because instead of walking into the tomb john shows reverence and appreciation to the authority of peter as the rock of the church and lets allows him to walk into the empty tomb first that's just a little example of details that john likes to add that points to something greater we see this exact same thing at the foot of the cross where john puts this specific wording in the in in his gospel. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus was up on the cross for a couple hours. There was probably a good bit of things that Jesus said, but John found it very important to add this line, woman, behold your son, and son, you know, behold your mother, and gives gives John Mary. But this points to something greater. It points to Jesus giving Mary to us as a spiritual mother, bestowing us a spiritual mother who's there to pray for us, to take care of us, to help lead us to the foot of the cross. You know, this isn't just like a a mishap that John adds this in his gospel. It's because Mary brings us to that place. She brings us to the foot of the cross where we get to know Christ in a very intimate way, the same way that she got to know him. If we also look, there's something really interesting about the wording of this passage where he says, woman, behold your son. Think about how strange that is for a second, right? Why would Jesus, like, if if you were talking to your mom, when would you ever say woman? Like, I think if I said that to my mom, who's going to be listening to this podcast, if I just went woman, like, that would be really strange for me to say. It's almost like a I don't know. It's almost like a little bit of disrespect if we were to use it today. And obviously Jesus didn't mean it in a disrespectful way. But when he says woman, it actually points to Mary as this title of a new Eve, someone who helps restore life, bring life. Because if we look at Genesis, when God is, you know, after Adam and Eve sin, when they fall and they eat the fruit, um, God is talking to the serpent and what he says to the serpent is, I will put enmity between you and the woman. She will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
So when Jesus says, woman, behold your son, the reason he says woman is because it's pointing back to this part of scripture. It's pointing back to Genesis because Mary is the new Eve who's going to restore and help bring about this life. Um, Jesus is saying is the woman who will crush the head of Satan, right? I'll put enmity between you and the woman she will bruise your head. If you bruise somebody's head, that is a fatal blow. And you see a lot of times in statues of Mary where she is stepping on the serpent. That's kind of where this comes from. Of Mary is crushing the head of Satan because she brings forth this life. She brings forth Jesus and she raises him and he dies on the cross for our sins. And now we have salvation thanks to the intimate and profound love of the Lord. We also see this wording of woman in Re the book of Revelation, you know, when they, they describe the woman in Revelation who is the queen of heaven, and we see the same wording of woman, which I, th I, I again think points back to this is Mary that it's talking about because that's what Jesus calls Mary is woman. And, you know, the last one of the last instructions that Jesus gives it's about Mary's motherhood and how beautiful is that, that he's still looking out for his mother. He wants to give us the means to get to him. And one of the means to get to him, one of the devotions to have to get to Jesus himself is through his mother because she loved him so much. And we can learn so much about her love and her love for Jesus and bring that into our daily lives of thinking about how much Mary would have loved her son, how much she would have cared for him, done anything for them, for him, where she, her whole life turned around in the instant that the angel Gabriel came to her. You know, she never expected to have kids. She, there's parts of the, of scripture, which I mean, I'm sure I'll go into another podcast episode of this where it points to her consecrated virginity that, you know, her and Joseph were going to have a chaste marriage. She never expected to have children and all of a sudden her life turns around because God asks her to do this thing and she says yes without hesitation. We can learn so much from our mother who is always praying for us and always trying to take care of us because she, all she wants is for her son to be known and for us to know her son. Um, so I really hope this helped give you a little background on Our Lady and her intercession and how much she loves and cares for us because of how much she loves and cares for her son and simply just wants to help us get to heaven and be in union with, um, with Christ who loves us so deeply and so dearly and holds us near to him. Um, yeah. So thank you for listening. Um, I will catch you next week with our next guest, which is so exciting. So thank you so much for listening. Have a blessed day. Uh, God bless you. Bye.